This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. All right, let's get this show started. But before we dive in, I'm going to invite you to do a little checkup from the neck up. This is when we (laughs) examine for a moment our mindset and where our mindset is at right now, currently, today. It's interesting how one day you can feel so positive and so confident, and another day you can wake up and it just feels like everything is kind of going against you. You're not feeling the best in your body. You don't feel confident in your ability to accomplish the things that you need to to get through the day. So just take a moment right now, take a breath, and press pause on everything around you, unless you're driving, keep driving. But I just want you to tune into where your mindset's at today. Where are your thoughts today? Are the thoughts that are circling through your mind positive? Are they hopeful? Are they resilient? Are your thoughts hyping you up? Are they looking for possibility? Or are you wearing some shades that have a really gray lens where you're doubting yourself, where you're not seeing the opportunities, where it feels like there's roadblocks or that you're really stuck? If you're noticing that there are some fear-based beliefs that are showing up for you today, I simply want you to ask yourself the question, is this the truth? Is this 100% accurate? If I was to pull my friends and ask them about this, would 100% of them reflect back to me that this is the truth? If you're not feeling great in your body, would 100% of your friends tell you, yeah, you deserve to not feel great in your body? If you believe that you can't do something or accomplish something, is that the absolute truth? If you feel like the whole world is against you and nothing's going your way and you're not supported, is that the absolute truth. Now, if there is any wiggle room here, this is great news. If there is any chance that it is not 100% rooted in the truth, what we know then is that there is space for there to be another possibility, another perspective, or another belief. And so I'd invite you to consider what other truth could be possible. Is it true that your body is strong and resilient? Is it possible that someone out there wants to connect with you, that people do love you? Now, sometimes when we're stuck in a more limiting mindset, it can be really hard to internalize these more positive beliefs. It's like, okay, I know somebody loves me, but I'm not necessarily feeling that overall. And I don't know how to just switch into that space. And so What I would suggest is rather than flipping the belief into something that feels impossible, is there a halfway point where you could perhaps find something that feels like it lands and that it's truthful? So my best friend really cares for me. I can cling to that. I can hang my hat on that one. And so rather than, you know, moving throughout the day with this mindset of no one loves me, it's like I have a best friend who loves me and cares for me. And can we move through the day with that perspective? If you don't believe my body is beautiful exactly as it is, can we find a middle ground belief to land on? My body is capable. My body has helped me survive a really challenging year. So can we find a thought that feels a little more like home? All right. Check up from the neck up is complete. Let's dive in to today's show because today's guest is incredible. Her name's Lauren Cadillac. She is a registered dietitian, a personal trainer, and a certified intuitive eating counselor. She is somebody that I've followed on Instagram and TikTok, even though I've only gone on there like twice. Uh, for a long time, she has this brilliant capacity of distilling complicated messages about food and our body into bite-sized pieces of information in video form, which we know we're all about these days. So welcome, Lauren. 
Thank you for having me. First of all, let me tell you, I am a huge Justin Bieber, Haley Bieber fan. And then like right under them falls Lauren Cadillac as far (laughs) as social media goes. It is like the Biebs and Haley and then Lauren Cadillac for me. Oh my God. Okay. If you're not following Feel Good Dietitian right now, press pause on the show Get your butt over there. Make sure you are following her. I swear you're killing it with the reels and you have this incredible way of taking somewhat complicated ideas for us who are living in this world of diet culture and just distilling them into these fun little clips that are like, give you these aha moments or, you know, it's stuff that I talk about with my own clients and you just have this way of lightening it up and drilling it home and making it so clear and effortless. It's a gift. Thank you. Wow. (laughs) That might be like one of the nicest compliments I've ever received being right under Justin Bieber. I mean, slash also really random. And, and, I knew a lot of and people, random, but a lot of people would be like, that's the most offensive thing that you could have said to me, depending on where the beef stands. In I your- mean, <laughs> I went to a Justin Bieber concert and it was quite possibly one of the best, like top five nights of my life. It was amazing. So it's a big compliment. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show as somebody who has a really powerful voice in the world of intuitive eating navigating diet culture that's all around us, navigating body image. And so before we dive into that, and we talk about a lot of tools, because let me tell you, the list of questions I have for Lauren is quite extensive. I would love to hear a little bit about how you came into this and a little bit about your story. My story feels like a long one, but the way that I kind of came into this and kind of creating my social media to be what it is, you know, focus on intuitive eating and anti-diet was like really all for my own just personal journey and personal evolution. I did bodybuilding from 2014 to 2016. Prior to that, growing up, if I look back now, I probably struggled with anorexia, but I was never diagnosed and it was never really you know, addressed back then. But as I kind of reflect on my younger years, Mm -hmm. it was definitely like disordered eating from a pretty young age, I guess like 14. And then, you know, like through college, always trying to diet, always trying to lose weight, not a fan of how my body looked, got into bodybuilding, thought I found the magic cure for it all, thought I figured it out, right? Like, oh, this is it. I'll do this forever. I did not do it forever. <laughs> like, Spoiler, not, alert. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I have not. Yes. Wasn't her life purpose? <laughs> was it not? But it definitely was something that was necessary for my own growth. Would I want to go back and do it again? Probably not. But I've, you know, I'm where I am today because of it. And going through that process for me really brought up a lot of old thought patterns and old behaviors. And I actually developed bulimia the more I competed. And in an effort to heal from that. I was doing my own exploration and I had a friend basically invite me to go to some retreat, which is where I was introduced to intuitive eating, anti-diet, health at every size, those concepts for the first time. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but maybe other people listening have had this where, you know, you start reading about it, you have all these light bulb moments, you want to start sharing it with people. And that was just kind of how this all evolved was like me exploring it for myself and seeing it felt like I had finally found what I thought I found with bodybuilding. I was like, no, this is actually sustainable because this isn't about restriction. This isn't about gritting my teeth and trying to dig my heels in and force my body to do something that it doesn't want to do. Like this is honoring my body, and respecting my body. So I found it to be so powerful and it just really felt like it gave me the life I had always hoped for. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to share that with people. So that's kind of oh, how I you found just it. Such a good job of sharing it. I love how you just made that transition sound so easy. Like I was building oh, yeah. <laughs> and I had it was bulimia and then I like went to this retreat and I was like, oh, this is the spot. And then I'm done. Yes. There's a lot more in between there for sure. It was not like I read a book and in two weeks I was a different person. No, it was like years of work. Of work. Yes. All the work, but the best kind of work that you can do, like the kind of work that as you're doing it, it's like you're peeling back the layers and feeling more yourself and more aligned. And one of the things that you talk about a lot is this path of healing our relationship with food and our body, not being a linear path that Mm -hmm. it is feeling really good some days. And then feeling like 
you're just right back in that mindset of hating your body and struggling with food another day. And then you take two steps forward and then you're like up and down and all the things. Was that part of your experience? Oh my gosh. Yes, for sure. I mean, there were things that I tried to marry intuitive eating with other types of dieting. And I tried to do this and, you know, felt like I was progressing in this area, but was still kind of held back and still applying these rules or these beliefs or whatever. So it definitely is not a linear thing. And I think dieting just kind of teaches us if I do a, then I'll go to B C, you know, and I'll just kind of work my way down the line. But with this, it's all about just fostering compassion for ourselves and, just learning about our body in general, like what it's going to tell us, what happens when we do this, what happens when we do that, and just being more compassionate and recognizing that we're humans and some days we're going to feel really good and some days we might not feel so good and that's okay and that's all part of it. And you need that contrast, right? Like if you didn't have any, what feel like bad days or any step backs, you wouldn't know what it would mean to feel good or to move forward. So as uncomfortable as it is, it's, it's necessary. It's, <laughs> it's an necessary. We find a lot of strength in those moments and we mm-hmm. learn a lot about ourselves in those moments. Yes. And it's not like we always want to be sitting in them, but I totally agree that the contrast, it really makes the steps forward and the good days just land that much better. So yes. were you already in dietetics when you started bodybuilding? Yes. You were. Okay. Yes. So I want to talk so- a little bit about this. Tell me your thoughts on being a dietitian as you were in this world of bodybuilding compared to where you are now teaching intuitive eating and being actually a certified intuitive eating counselor. I feel like there was a lot of shame around some of that in the sense of, well, to be fair, when I got into bodybuilding, I wasn't doing like the type of coaching that I do now. I was working in a hospital, so it was a lot more clinical. It was people coming in that have diabetes or, or renal disease or whatever. So it was a lot more clinical. It wasn't helping them heal the relationship. It was completely different. So when I got into bodybuilding, I remember telling myself, you know, I'm a dietitian. I'm going to do this the healthy way, air quotes. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do like a bro diet. I'm still going to get variety. I'm still going to try to eat all these things. And yeah, it's just a super interesting industry. It's almost like how in the intuitive eating space, we have these like phrases we all see often, right? Like all bodies are good bodies and I deserve respect and these really nice compassionate phrases. And I feel like in the bodybuilding industry, there's other phrases that tend to get internalized that maybe aren't so compassionate or helpful yes. or, yeah. um, and it, it's very easy, I think, to kind of get sucked in because we know like even outside of that industry, bodies are placed into a hierarchy, whether we want to admit that or not, like that's what kind of diet culture teaches us that if I look this way, that equals this. And then you dive into the bodybuilding industry and it's taken to a whole nother level, right? Like your success in that industry is quite literally based on how you look like 100%. So looking back now, I mean, it makes sense to me, like most dietitians become dietitians because, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but a lot of us either had our own things with food we were still working through, mm-hmm. or maybe even still did. And the type of training that we received was very weight centric. So it was about calories and it was about losing weight. And it was about these things that you do in bodybuilding. It wasn't about bodybuilding, obviously, but losing weight and things just kind of taken to a different level of bodybuilding. So now looking back, I mean, it makes me cringe and I can't believe I know I've done TikToks to that where it's like, I just want somebody to love and you cringe at everything that you (laughs) had to do. That's how I feel about like everything I did during my bodybuilding days. So I feel like I've worked through a lot of like shame and guilt and just other negative emotions around, you know, I'm a dietitian. I'm supposed to know better. I'm supposed to help people with these Mm. things. And then here I was doing something that's not the most healthy thing, but I'm a human and we learn. (laughs) You don't know until you know, and this is a perfect example of just how deeply rooted diet culture is within our society and how Mm -hmm. integrated it is into our healthcare systems at the end of the day. So, okay. We've now thrown out the word and term diet culture about 100 times in five minutes, but for somebody who's like, what is diet culture? Like you're obviously talking about diets, like counting macros and Atkins and diets and that with How would you elaborate on explaining or defining diet culture to individuals who are starting to explore this or who maybe are where you were when you were bodybuilding? 
So I know Christy Harrison has a really good definition of it that I will not be able to recite. And I think she's done a really good job. Instead of me trying to come up with my own definition, I know she describes it as like an oppressive system of beliefs that equates thinness to health and value, right? If you are thinner, if you lose weight, that raises your ranks in society, right? Like you can gain recognition, you can gain anything by going up in, in the ranks, if you will. Yes. By changing how your body looks, you know, it demonizes certain foods, it elevates other foods, it makes you feel guilty if you eat those demonized foods. You know, it's an oppressive system because it's based on a certain ideal that is really rooted in whiteness, I guess, if you think about. So this idea that, you know, if we look this way, we go up in the ranks and Sabrina Strings has a great book called Fearing the Black Body. And it talks all about how diet culture has racist roots, how it's rooted in anti-Blackness and how if you think about how different races were organized into a hierarchy with white men being at the top and the body sizes associated with those different races, the body sizes then fell into a hierarchy as well. Mm -hmm. So it really becomes this oppressive system where it's not just about, hey, lose weight or trying to buy these shakes or whatever. Like there's so many more layers to it. And with everything that's going on in the world right now, we need to continue to do this work to like dismantle it. I couldn't agree more. I think what can become challenging is, and I see it all the time with women that I'm coaching where they're like, I'm exhausted by this relationship that I have with food. I want to feel happy in my body. And yet Mm -hmm. I'm also terrified because the reality is in this world that we're living in, when you are white, thin, in a smaller body, and you look a certain way, you are given more recognition. I mean, there we all know at the end of the day that that is to a certain extent. And for anybody who's been in a body where they've dieted or hit that goal weight, for the most part, you get there and you still feel kind of shitty or you feel happy yeah. for a second. And then you're like, oh, I need to do more. I'm still not where I need to be, right? Yeah. But- yeah. That being said, it can be very scary for people to to really, truly lean into this idea of body neutrality or positivity of intuitive eating when all messages in society are telling them that like they will lose value if they do that. What do you say? Because I know you must work with girls who are struggling with this, who are like, Mm -hmm. I want it, but also I just, I like... I don't know if I have the strength to go against the whole oppressive system of like generations. Well, I think there's kind of two parts to that, right? Like this is not my quote, so I can't take credit for this, but I know I've seen it floating around where like you can't CBT or you can't like reframe your thoughts out of oppression or like racism or whatever it might be. So there's the side of things where there's a bigger cultural societal issue as a whole that we need to address. But I think that starts with us as individuals, like we have to do the work for ourselves before it goes outward. The question I tend to ask people is like, well, you've tried dieting before, you've done all of these things. How has that been working, right? Like obviously if my client and I are at a point where we are talking, it must not have given you what you wanted it to give you or what you thought it would give you if you're sitting here talking to me about it, right? So I like to start out our conversations or like the program that I do. One of the first things that we do is kind of just go through and look at like, what's your dieting history show? Has your relationship with food improved or has it gotten worse the more that you've dieted? You know, how much money have you spent on dieting? How much time and effort have you spent on it? What other side effects are you kind of experiencing secondary to doing these things? And, and, even if that fear of your body changing is there, like what do you have to give up or maybe what do you have to do to your body that doesn't feel so good in order to hold on to this smaller body size maybe, you know, and maybe to consider, maybe you will gain some weight, but like what else will you gain in that process as well? Do you gain the freedom to be able to travel eventually, to be able to go out to dinner and order what you actually want to be present in conversations and be spontaneous and, you know, just live your life feeling fulfilled and present rather than spending so much time in your head. You know, it's like when you're dieting, all you think about is what did I eat before? Can I fit this in? Like do how many calories do I have left? How many macros do I have left? You know, it's so all consuming. And when we can kind of quiet that chatter, it really allows us to just show up more presently in our lives. 
Brilliant. I'm going to take all those questions that you just asked and I'm going to put them into the show notes and everyone who's listening right now, I'd really recommend pulling out a blank piece of paper at some point because it's always so great to listen to these episodes and to feel a little, you know, inspired or interested. And it's a whole nother thing to take these tools that we're talking about and to put it into practice for yourself. So we'll make sure that you have those questions. And then when you have a moment, just sit down and see what comes up for you when you're answering these questions for yourself. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. Friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you a over. Pressing pause for a moment to ask you some questions. Be honest with me. Put up your hand, not if you're driving, of course, put up your hand if you're feeling a little out of control around food these days. You constantly find yourself in the kitchen snacking or eating when you know you're not really hungry. Put up your hand if you feel unhappy with your body. You get dressed in the morning or you're getting ready to go out and you feel totally discouraged by what you see in the mirror. Put your hand up if you are struggling to find the motivation to stay active or to move your body or really to live any of the habits that you know you wanna be living but you just can't seem to get into the groove. If you put your hand up for any of those things, I want to invite you to join me at my free live training, Five Steps to End the Battle with Food and Your Body. This is a free training. You can find the link to sign up in the show notes down below. And in this training, I'm going to walk you through the exact steps I took to change my relationship to food and my body forever. No dieting, no insane workout schedule. It's perfect for anybody who's ready to step away from the exhausting cycle of dieting and overeating and then dieting again, only to feel like nothing is working for you. Or maybe you're trapped always thinking about food and your body and you know that it's holding you back from living your fullest life. If any of this is resonating, please do yourself a favor. Click the link in the show notes down below. Come hang out with me for one of my free one hour trainings. I can't wait to see you there. So for me, when I think about diet culture now, it is so infused into the messages that we see in advertisements, the things we see scrolling Instagram, the Instagram Mm -hmm. filters that are used that sort of feed into this beauty ideal that actually allow us to shape our faces in different ways. Mm -hmm. It's the conversations that 
occur between girlfriends and mothers and their daughters. It's the practice of weighing ourselves. It's just everywhere. Clean eating, cutting out sugar, getting a beach body, going on a detox. It's basically the way that everyone talks about food. Like it's pretty much, you know what I mean? When you think about the majority, food is generally seen as, oh, I shouldn't be eating this. I'm so bad for having this. I got to burn this off later. Like those types of things would be diet culture. Even saying to your girlfriends, like, oh my God, you look amazing, or you've lost weight, congratulations. Like, that is perpetuating this diet culture that we live in, or just sort of rooted in that. One of the things you just said that I don't think a lot of people realize falls into this category is clean eating. Where this becomes confusing is that clean eating isn't really portrayed as a as what we would normally consider a diet. And yet it still vilifies certain foods and elevates and gives greater moral value to the quote unquote clean foods. So some people listening to this would be like, well, come on, like we have to, you know, have some vegetables in our diets and some fruit and like, you can't just eat sugar and cake all day. So what would you say to that? (laughs) I would say, of course, like, of course we want to be eating fruits and vegetables. Of course we don't want to be eating one type of food all day, every day, whether it's, eating 100% carrots, for example, or eating cake all day, like both will not give you what your body needs. Like you need a variety, but by labeling things as clean and dirty, it's the same thing as good and bad, right? And bad, dirty elicits a sense of shame, guilt, regret, whatever, when you do eat those things. And then a lot of times that can lead to other behaviors that we're not going for. Not to mention the level of privilege that's kind of just layered into that, like there's people that live in places that can get fruits and vegetables. And so by saying that the only way to attain health is to do whole 30 or to cut out all of these foods, you really make it impossible. It's unachievable for a lot of other people, right? So there's the conversation of just like accessibility for some people. But I think a lot of times when intuitive eating gets talked about, or you see it on Instagram, and I I, I had the same thought too, when I learned about it, I was like, how are we supposed to tell people to eat French fries? Like, how is that healthy? How am I supposed to do that as a dietitian? But I think that just comes from a place of just not understanding the full framework, which is fine. You're not going to understand it when you first hear about it. So it makes sense that there might be a little bit of pushback. And I think that's normal because we've been taught one way our whole lives. And now this thing kind of comes into the picture and it's suddenly challenging everything. So it's normal for some defensiveness to come up, Um, but it's not anti-fruit, anti-vegetable, anti-health. It's pro all of those things. It's just incorporating those things because you enjoy them and they feel good in your body, not because you feel like you have to have those things and you're right. force feeding yourself them. Right. Right. Okay. So for individuals who are like, what is this intuitive eating thing that you keep talking about? How would you describe intuitive eating? Yeah. So intuitive eating is a framework for eating that was created by two dietitians, Evelyn Tribbley and Elise Fresh, back in 1995. It's a dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and rational thought. So based on 10 principles, it's backed by, I think, 130 studies at this point. So it is backed by science. It's not just some random concept floating out there. You know, it's been proven to show improvements in cardiovascular disease, you know, like blood pressure, lipids, improvements in body image, relationship with food just overall happiness in life. But to me, like when I think of intuitive eating, I just think of freedom. It's just reconnecting with your body and eating in the way that we're really designed to eat. You know, we kind of come into this world as intuitive eaters and then through living in diet culture, we lose touch with the cues of our body. So it's really just kind of reconnecting to something that's innate in all of us. I mean, it's really the most incredible thing that you can't believe actually truly works like it works until you experience it yourself. And I think one of the most important things that you just said is that we are all born intuitive eaters. This Mm -hmm. truly isn't something that you have to learn. It's innately what your body is designed to do. It's really unlearning all the shit that we're told over the years and coming home to, and connecting again to your body's hunger and fullness levels and Mm -hmm. learning to cope with emotions and various things. So in my recovery from my eating disorder, I was anorexic at about 16 years old and was hospitalized for three months. Mm -hmm. And I, before going into the hospital, tried working with a dietitian, tried an outpatient program, and none of that was working. My ED was 
loud and like so many other people sneaky. And I just lied and I found ways to get around having to follow the rules that were set out for me. Mm-hmm. So I'll have people message saying I'm struggling with bulimia or I'm struggling with anorexia. And I've been listening to the intuitive eating podcasts and I've read this book and I'm trying, and I just don't know if I'm getting it and I can't hear my hunger signals. I think it's important to note, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this when it's appropriate to lean into self-teaching or taking a course on intuitive eating versus when we need professional help and guidance, when it's time to call on professionals who are trained, like somebody like you would be great to work with if you have an eating disorder or a bit more of a program rather than somebody like me, who's a health coach. So I always direct those individuals to healthcare professionals where it's in their scope of practice to work with them. Or if they're like dead set, for example, on doing the reset, it's mandatory that they see their doctor and that they have a session with Allie or somebody else who can be helping them navigate all of these things. What are your thoughts on this topic? So I don't think there's any like cut and dry answer of like this specific criteria, because I think there's also just accessibility again, like not everyone can afford to get treatment, right? Like it's very expensive. It's not something most people can just be like, oh yeah, I just want to do this thing. And great. You know, I think there's like the layer of, do I have access to this and can I afford it? Do I want to do this thing? I think sometimes people go into treatment and seek out treatment themselves. And then there's times where family might be the one that's kind of encouraging it. What I will say is like, I don't personally work with people that have eating disorders. So if someone was struggling with anorexia, I work with people that have disordered eating. So if you are someone that has anorexia, for example, as I just mentioned, intuitive eating is an interplay of instinct, emotion, and rational thought. What do we need to think rationally? Food. Food. We need enough food, right? So if you're not eating adequately, you're not eating enough you're not going to think rationally. So intuitive eating is not going to be your like starting point. It's kind of more like I'm going to work towards that. That's my destination. You could start to familiarize yourself with the principles of it. But to think that if you're someone that's struggling with anorexia and you're like, cool, I'm going to honor my hunger and fullness cues. They might be like, great. I'm never eating because I don't have hunger cues. It's just not the starting place. So I would say if you're someone that has an eating disorder, once those behaviors are no longer there, maybe if you fall more into the disordered eating category, mm-hmm. I think that's when intuitive eating mm-hmm. is more appropriate. Like, yes. But again, that doesn't mean you can't explore it while in that phase as well. You just can't start with that. It just won't work. You know, you need a little bit more of like rehabilitation almost. Yeah. There's no ability when you're in that eating disorder mind frame to tune in and notice when I'm hungry or to tune in and notice when I'm full. It's like the gas gauge on the car is broken. The wires are not connected and we got to build that back up first. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like listen to that internal voice. If you're struggling with an eating disorder, you know that that voice is so overpowering and so loud and Mm -hmm. can kind of morph. So it's impossible to know whether it's the eating disorder or your intuition. And so that's where, again, I love what you said. You can read these books and explore this and work towards it, but also it's not probably the starting point in your recovery. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And I think if you're someone that you're able to work with someone and able to get support. I think obviously that's great and and something I'd recommend, but obviously it's not something that I think everyone has access to, which is unfortunate. For somebody who is in the space of disordered eating and they're navigating and exploring intuitive eating and they're kind of giving themselves permission to maybe eat some of the foods that they once feared or to Mm -hmm. reduce some rigidity. Do you find that there's often a bit of almost like a honeymoon period with food where people will want to eat more or they're like, I feel like I'm eating all the things now. Like I've given myself permission and it's really enjoyable, but I'm also freaking out because I'm losing control over here. Yes. What advice would you give somebody who's in that stage? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm like, I'm just quoting Christy Harrison a lot today. I think in her book, anti-diet, she talks about, she's just great. Why would I not? I think she talks about that pendulum swinging, right? Like if diet culture or dieting, these restrictive behaviors have been pulling you up to the left side of the pendulum, for example, and then you release that the pendulum is going to swing back the other way. And what you kind of just described would be the other side of the pendulum, right? What happens though with the pendulum is that eventually over time, it settles somewhere in the middle. So 
I think that visualization of kind of going back and forth is what you were touching on before as well. That feels kind of like that step forward, step backwards, step forward, step backwards. And I think that's just kind of that swinging of like trying to find that sweet spot. So I would just tell my clients, it's really normal. It's kind of a mix of this is exciting and this is fun, but it could also be kind of physically uncomfortable because maybe you're eating a larger volume of foods than you had in the past or different types of foods that might not feel so great in your body. But I always encourage them to, you know, keep going because it's such a valuable part of the process because not only are you taking the wow factor away from these foods, like you're not trying to burn out on them, but you're just trying to make them so they're not so powerful. Like they don't hold so much emotional power over you. They just become like any other food, but you're also figuring out firsthand, like this food feels this way in my body. And this food feels that way in my body. And you need to go through that experience so that you can learn to eat in a way that feels right for you. Because if you don't go through that, you're still going to be basing all of your decisions off of this person told me to eat this. And this person told me to eat that instead of reestablishing that autonomy and just basing your decisions off of your own experience. So I know it's an uncomfortable part of the journey to go through, but it's so, so valuable. It's so important. Oh, I love everything that you just said. It is, it is. And it is also very challenging. And I find it's the time when the most people are like, okay, I'm really enjoying this. And I also feel like I just need to go back on the diet because this doesn't feel as black and white as the diet where they're like, just do this and do that. And you'll feel good in your body. Whereas this is like, well, we're going to try this and then we're going to see how that goes. And people are like, no, I can't be patient for this. (laughs) Yes. They're like, can you tell me just what you want me to eat? And I'm like, I'm not going to give you a meal plan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What are the other most common questions I get around this? And I always say, I am not a certified intuitive eating counselor. I have not gone through the program. I work with dietitians and a doctor of psychology who works in body image to ensure that the health coaching information that I received resonates with these messages that I believe in. And I take a non-diet approach to wellness. That's sort of where I've landed in regards to what I talk about. Now, one of the most common questions that I hear from people is, can I lose weight using a non-diet or intuitive eating approach? Like I want to do this, but will I lose weight? Yeah. And so it's such an interesting question to navigate, knowing where women are at and what the motivation will be. What do you say when people ask that? So I usually say in response, you know, if you're going into intuitive eating with the intention of trying to lose weight, the framework will not work because, I mean, it can't work, right? Like the first principle is reject the diet mentality. So if you're still intentionally trying to lose weight, it's going to just cloud your judgment. It's going to get in the way of everything else you're trying to do. That being said, I think most people that are coming to intuitive eating, I would argue like 99% of people have a history of dieting, which means we probably wanted to lose weight in the past. So it doesn't mean that if you still hope that it result like results in weight loss, like you can still pursue it. I think it's normal, right? Like I think it's normal to still kind of hope that it does because of just what you've grown up hearing your whole life. So don't beat up on yourself. If you still have that desire, it's normal and it makes a lot of sense. But that being said, if you're acting on that desire, I think that's a different story. Hopefully as we go through that process, that desire to lose weight diminishes and we start to realize, hey, you know what? I I can feel really good and I can focus on health if I want to in a different way. I can work on my body image and do all these other things. And I don't have to think about losing weight. But again, if, if that's the main intention, I don't think it's going to fly. It's going to be a longer journey. And yeah. I think a lot of the people ultimately that I work with have that hope at the beginning. And oh, for sure. And, it's, and some people do lose weight and some people gain weight and some people's weight stays exactly the same. Yes. What's important, I think, is starting to immerse yourself in a community and a conversation where we're exploring things like what is diet culture and how does that show up and what did that conversation look like in your family and what are the thoughts that are swirling around in your head that are holding you back and what are some tools that we could play around with to reshape our relationship with food and your body and your purpose and your passions 
And when people start to feel it in their body, when they start to feel it, then it's easier to continue moving forward in that space. Yes. And yes. so, I mean, honestly, sometimes you just got to like throw out the lo- lifeline and like and just know that it, what you're doing isn't working and that there is a better way, whether it's working with Lauren or Allie or doing the reset. It's so important to find somebody that you trust, that you resonate with their story and 65% of women are struggling with disordered eating. Like there cannot be enough of us doing this work. And no. so for me, it's just always so important to amplify the voices of those that are talking about this in a way that feels right for me and to keep sharing our resources and doing this together, because that's the only way that we're really going to create change for women at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah and, and I think like you said, creating that community and just kind of immersing yourself in this world maybe of intuitive eating on Instagram or, you know, we're all kind of on our phones all the time, right? We're all on social media, you know, use it to your advantage, kind of like brainwash yourself in a positive way so that these messages sink in. You know, you you were saying earlier about a lot of times people reading and doing these things, but it's not until you actually do the work. A lot of the work is sitting down and contemplating and thinking about your uh, beliefs and, and reframing them and what you suggested earlier with getting out a pen and paper and responding to some of those questions. Like that's doing the work and sitting down and trying to create a different dialogue. But I think by following other people, if they have that same hopeful message, it helps you kind of just create those thoughts for yourself almost. Oh, absolutely. Cuts through the diet culture that is all around us. Who are some Mm -hmm. people or some of your favorite accounts to follow? I actually have a highlight on my page of like people to follow. I know everyone by their like their handles. So like the nutrition (laughs) tea, you know what I mean? Like it's so bad. Like if I had, yeah, I think, I think going to my, I have a highlight save of people to follow. And then I try to, in a lot of my posts, you know, tag different accounts that are you know, sharing this message. And I think it's just kind of important to note the fact that, you know, I'm a white, cisgendered, thin, able-bodied dietitian, the most stereotypical dietitian that there is. And there's a lot of work that was done so that I could learn all of this stuff. And I'm just, I've learned from other people. And that's why, you know, I have that highlight and I want other people to learn from other people as well, because all of our experiences are different. And having been in this body, granted me certain privileges and different experiences that not everyone else had. And so I think for that reason, it's important to kind of just gain different perspectives and, and learn from different people. So that highlight should give you some diverse people to follow. Powerful. We will link to that highlight. Mm-hmm. Question. The number of GI issues that women are struggling with these days are plentiful. Mm-hmm. And what the solution seems to be for a lot of these is to just stop eating everything except for white rice. And then, you know, like the standard that we hear. And so can you be experiencing GI issues and eat intuitively? I mean, the two go hand in hand, like dieting behaviors. We know there's a huge correlation between eating disorders and functional gut disorders. Like there's a huge correlation between dieting behaviors, restriction, and our gut health think about dieting, just what it does. Like we restrict certain foods. So then our gut microbiome gets to be a certain way, right? Like it likes diversity. It likes different fiber and different, just different foods, right? So that the the flora itself can be diverse. When we cut out foods, it's kind of dwindling that down a little bit. When we cut out foods and we're on a diet, what also increases is our stress levels. We're worried about what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat. We know that there's a gut brain connection, right? And we know that stress is going to impact the gut negatively as well. So if you're someone that has dieted or you have a history of eating disorders and you have gut issues, before you go cutting everything in the world out, I would really encourage you to explore intuitive eating or something of the sort where you're trying to kill your relationship with food before you go cut anything else out because that might just be adding fuel to the fire. Yes. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad. I have like three people that I'm going to send to you right away. I didn't realize this at all until honestly, like six months ago, but the direct correlation between disordered eating and gut health. I mean, it just makes so much sense. Everybody with gut health issues is being told to essentially exhibit disordered eating patterns, which causes more stress, which causes more thoughts about food. And then 
it's just this pattern that we fall into. And yes, and it's a vicious cycle too, because it's like, okay, so now I have these things, so I have to cut out more, and then I stress more, and then I have more symptoms, and then. And mm-hmm. as per usual, I mean, with everything on this podcast, of course, you know, doing an elimination diet is going to work for some people, but yes. we have to look at this from a broader perspective in regards to the number of people who are just cutting everything out. I remember yes. going to a a uh, naturopath. And I just found the most amazing naturopath who's feeling like a great fit, but I went to one previously who barely asked me any questions and was like, you have SIBO. You need to basically cut everything out of your diet. And I was like, I told you that I had an eating disorder in the past. And this just all feels yeah. like not the right fit. So I did totally. not do the elimination <laughs> diet. Good. The more that you know and understand about this type of thing, the better mm-hmm. choices you can make for your body to support you and your wellness. Yes. And I think you, you bring up an important point to note that like, there are definitely people that cannot eat certain things or cannot tolerate certain things, or maybe have a sensitivity or an allergy or whatever. And like, that's completely valid. And and yes, but again, if you do have a history of eating disorder or dieting and you feel like your relationship with food is still a little shaky before you explore cutting things out, I would work on the healing your relationship with food. Just want to throw that in there. (laughs) Great point. And I think if you have an allergy to food as you're exploring intuitive eating, most likely, you know, you might give yourself permission to try some of that food, but the, your body's reaction to it is going to be speaking pretty clearly that that's not really serving you. And so rather than it being a rule, you can kind of um, yes. trust that your body's letting you know what's going to make you feel the best that you can feel. Right. Right. It's like, if you know that you're going to get diarrhea, like immediately after you eat something, like maybe, you know, you have autonomy, you know, you can eat that thing, but maybe you choose not to, cause you don't feel like having diarrhea <laughs> later. Or like maybe you would do and like, you choose to have it and you have diarrhea and you're like, cool. Like that's also your choice, you know, but it's, it's up to you. <laughs> it was worth it for the McFlurry. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's worth it. It's always, yeah, like ice cream of some sort. What <laughs> does it for me? <laughs> totally. Okay. I have two more questions for you. I mean, I could literally talk to you for hours, but I want to chat about food fears. So as you're starting to eat more intuitively and to repair your relationship with food, and maybe you're exhibiting more quote unquote normal way of eating mm-hmm. with more freedom around food. Is it normal to still have some lingering thoughts about, should I eat this? Or I had one girl I was talking to just this week who went away to a bachelorette party. And she's like, it was like, all the thoughts came back. I was in my bathing suit. I was in a really social setting. There was alcohol evolved. And, and now I'm worried that I'm, I'm going back to the way that I was before. Yeah. I think it's just so normal because you're not doing this work in a bubble. You're doing this work in diet culture. So you're constantly continuing to receive the messages that you're actively trying to dig up, right? Like you're trying to get rid of these unhelpful beliefs as they're being shoved down your throat. So it's really normal for them to continue to pop up. And I think that idea of like the black and white thinking, like I'm on the diet, I'm off the diet, I'm doing it right. I'm doing it wrong gets taken with us when we go into intuitive eating. And so it's like, oh no, if I have these thoughts about it, that means I'm doing intuitive eating wrong or like something's wrong here. And and in, in reality, it's like, it's just going to pop up. Eventually over time, like those thoughts will become fewer and far between, but like they'll pop up. I know I have thoughts that pop up sometimes too. And I'm just like, I know where that came from. Like, I'm not going to act on it. I'm not changing my behaviors because of it, but like, I can't really do a whole lot to prevent it from popping up, you know, especially if you're in a situation that's maybe high stress, you're in a bathing suit, we haven't seen each other in a long time, there's a social element. So it makes perfect sense. And I would encourage people to not uh, stress out too much about that, you know, just use it as a learning opportunity of like, hey, there's still some room to you know, work on this. And that's great. That's fine. You yeah. don't need to get it perfect. There's no getting it perfect. You know, it's just, it's it is on, what it is. It's an ongoing <laughs> process. But like you said, the voices get softer or f- further apart. I find yes. for me now that the thoughts don't really come up around food or my body per se. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I question, well, is that just because I am a white cisgender, tall, thin woman, that Mm -hmm. it's not as much of a struggle for me anymore now that I'm removed. And that's absolutely Mm -hmm. plays a role in this for sure. But where I do notice those thoughts coming up now are more around aging. 
or like looking in the mirror being like, wow, you look super tired. And, you know, we've talked about this in episodes around Botox and stuff. So diet culture doesn't just have to be about our body size. It can be ageism. It can show up in different ways at different times in your life. And we keep, you know, we got to keep having these conversations and talking about it and, and looking for tools to support us and being gentle with ourselves, finding that Mm -hmm. voice of Mm self-compassion. Yeah, you're so right. It's like, there's so many different arenas that that voice kind of filters into. But I think the word compassion, like you just said, that's kind of like the main takeaway for all of this when it comes to aging, when it comes to our weight, when it comes to how we feel about our bodies, just trying to be compassionate about wherever we're at in our relationship to that thing. You know, it's like, I'm a human, like, it's okay, you know, talking to ourselves that we the same way we would talk to a friend if they were struggling with how their skin looked or if they have a wrinkle or whatever it is, you know? Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for having me. The work that you're doing online to spread these important messages and to highlight other women through your highlight feeds and just through conversations like this, everyone should grab, if you're able to, Christy Harrison's book, Anti-Diet. When is your book coming out? Uh, I, I posted something the other day. I was like, it feels like everyone has a book or a podcast or like, um, actually I haven't really said this. I'll say it on here. I'm actually trying to work on an app right now. It's an intuitive eating app. I haven't, I, you're literally the first person I'm telling about this. So like, oh, surprise. So so hopefully, yeah. Hopefully it doesn't just like fall through. Cause that would be needed to be edited out of this episode. I well, I mean, I'm pretty but, sure most people have, ex- have the experience of starting something and working on it. And then it, you know, evolving or changing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's very relatable content right there. And we will take it out and let me know how we can support this because a brilliant, brilliant thing that would be so, so helpful to so many people. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. It's kind of like a culmination of, I have these like little flashcards, kind of like a culmination of a lot of the things that I do with my clients, but put into one like little app. So hopefully it's helpful and hopefully it, it, comes to fruition. <laughs> well, you know what? You've got an accountability buddy now. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. I'm like, I don't know. I put it accountability. Out universe. Yes. Head on over to feel good dietitian and just send her a little DM. If you feel like her app would be helpful <laughs> to give her that little boost. Yes. Rolling. Well, thank you again for joining us. It's been a pleasure to chat with you so much. Uh, so many aha moments, so many like takeaways from this call and for anybody who's listening right now, really, truly take what resonates. You don't have to remember every single detail that we talked about, but just look for like the one or two things that stand out to you. Carry that with you. If you want to share it with a friend, we always love that. Take a screenshot, share it on IG. We will, Mm -hmm. I know we will at Raw Beauty Talks, regram that. Thank you again for joining us, Lauren. Thank you for having me. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.